I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Allison Stanger, PhD, author and professor of international politics and economics at Middlebury College. Her new book is Whistleblowers, Honesty in America, From Washington to Trump. Revealing the misconduct of the powerful is always dangerous. Whistleblowers face a difficult choice. By challenging and exposing corruption, they perform a vital public service, yet they historically suffer for it. Analyzing a range of whistleblowing episodes from corrupt Revolutionary War Commodore Essek Hopkins uh, to Eric Snowden to the dishonesty of Donald Trump, Allison Stanger reveals the centrality of whistleblowing to American democracy well-being. She's a New America Cybersecurity Fellow, an external professor at the Santa Fe Institute, and a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. She is also the author of One Nation Under Contract and, and other books. She's been featured in the Financial Times, International Herald, New York Times, etc. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Allison. I'm glad to be here, Catherine. Well, as we discussed for a couple, 30 seconds before the show, your book is obviously very timely. Um, I mean, there's a certain, I mean, this week there's an immediacy to perhaps people reading the book, I would say. I, I, my first question is pretty simple. What is a whistleblower in the context of politics? Because I think maybe we're more familiar, and I'm not sure this is true, but with whistleblowing, let's say, in the corporate sector. And that's different than whistleblowing in the public sector or in the context of politics, isn't it? Is it? Yes, I think you're really right. And it's funny, when I wrote this book, um, I originally included corporate whistleblowing and had to cut hundreds and hundreds of pages from the book because it just, it just got too unwieldy and obscured really important points. In government, a whistleblower is somebody who reveals misconduct, often the abuse of public power for private gain. So they're either breaking the law or they're violating some norm that the community thinks should not be violated. So in, in politics, it really often centers on corruption, which means someone looking out for themselves rather than looking out for the common good, in this case, the American people. Okay. So if you are a whistleblower and that's your objective or your motivation in politics, how well is one protected? If you are, well, that's the question. Yeah, well, this is the thing about this current case, and whistleblowers really provide the context for understanding what's going on here. America, whistleblowing in America is in our DNA. We passed the world's first Whistleblower Protection Act in 1778. So this is something that's very American, and we can talk more about that if you like. But with this present complaint, it really is a miracle that it came forward because everything was stacked against it every single light of day, simply because it's an intelligence community worker. And they, they work in an environment that demands secrecy because we have to keep secrets to keep the United States safe. And obviously by blowing the whistle, you're exposing things that are secret, that in this case you can see pretty clearly that the, the Trump administration doesn't want the public to know about and that's a very dangerous business. Uh, one person's national security whistleblower is another's insider threat in the intelligence community. So it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing to do, and we should be grateful to this whistleblower 
for having the courage to speak truth to power and hopefully uh, provide a public service to the United States. When you say that, this person almost sounds like he or she could be a hero. So when you hear Donald Trump talking about, you know, it's a hoax and they're just going after him and it's a witch hunt, this person's really laying everything on the line as a person in the intelligence community because it sort of goes against what they do, keeping secrets. And they, yeah. No, no, that's exact. You're absolutely right. Uh, And I think that's really important for people to appreciate just how unusual this is and what courage it took to come forward. And you see all these charges against the whistleblower, but members of the intelligence community, including the acting director of national intelligence and the intelligence community inspector general and lots of past heads of the CIA and so forth have all said this whistleblower followed the appropriate channels, did everything right, and the complaint should should be should be shared with the American people. But the mudslinging you're seeing, what's fascinating about that to me is you don't see the administration focusing on the content of the complaint. There's all sorts of vitriol going back and forth. It's, it's as though they're trying to throw things up at the wall and see what sticks, but nobody is defending the behavior that's described in the complaint. And that's, that's something to really keep, keep one's eyes on. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, that really does stand out, you know, and I'm listening to all of the, the uh, news channels and the media, no one really talks about, or it, 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 or maybe it's just a little bit of what they talk about, they don't talk about the danger that this particular, this, that, that the, what Mr. Trump did to the national security, to our whole democracy, really, not just our national security mm-hmm. or, you know, other countries meddling in our politics, but it doesn't really underline the whole system of government, um, our whole system of government, of, of, of laws. And, and uh, could you talk to us about that? Because that's, I mean, that's really the issue, isn't it? It's absolutely the issue, Catherine. Um, Whistleblowing, as it's understood in the United States, is intimately connected to the rule of law. So in a sense, the whistleblower is saying, you are breaking the rules, I'm blowing the whistle, and you are, I'm doing so because you're undermining the system itself. So it's not a partisan issue, it's not Democrat or Republican, it's really an American issue, and I think that's why you're seeing the response that you're seeing to the whistleblower in the United States. It, as I mentioned earlier, Whistleblowing is a really American concept, so that's the reason why you see both Democrats and Republicans in the Senate unanimously supporting the complaint going, you know, being released to Congress. So it's a very interesting situation where the White House is really defending indefensible behavior. And we could talk a bit about what, what the behavior in the complaint is, if you're interested, but... Yeah, let's talk really about that. Let's go go ahead. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, you, you need to focus on the content of the complaint, which indicates a cover-up of both a national security threat and a threat to democracy from within. With respect to the national security threat, that's this whole shadow form policy that the White House was running through the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, through the attorney general, William Barr, 
who's supposed to enforce impartial justice. And that policy is at direct odds with the state of the foreign policy of the United States, as administered by the State Department, and for which Congress appropriated money. That military aid is only released to Ukraine because the Congress, Congress has approved it. Excuse me a minute. Uh, and so, so that shadow foreign policy is really a subversion of all practices relating to foreign policy, and we can go into more and more of this about how the treatment of the documents is different. There's plenty out there for you to read about. But that's the national security threat. And then there's the threat to democracy from within, which is, which is easy to understand because the president is celebrating foreign interference in American elections. Well, that, 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 that isn't right. <laughs> uh, obviously, we want Americans to elect our leaders, not foreigners. So the intelligence community, community whistleblower is really blowing the whistle on a threat to the system itself. And it's part of a pattern of behavior that's been going on ever since Trump's election in the intelligence community where they're behaving very uh, in unprecedented fashion. Allison, why do you think that some of the, the senators, the Republican senators, um, are, si- are silent or are not more outraged or haven't perhaps been more outraged even before this? Because even in, you know, in terms of or in response to the Mueller report. But, OK, now, are they outraged enough? Or, I mean, your opinion. Oh, I think, I, yeah, they're, they're, their situation is understandable because they've thrown their lot behind Trump, and he just has spun out of control. And so I think it's not as though they're defending him, but they're really trying to buy time to figure out what they should do. Because keep in mind, if you've invested in and, and supported and defended Donald Trump, uh, you, you lose everything if it turns out to have been the wrong investment. And so it really takes a courageous Republican to stand up and say, you know, this isn't, isn't acceptable. It isn't American. And this isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. It's an American issue. Uh, this cannot stand. And I think we're starting to see that happening. It's just going to take some time. So in other words, you think that some of the senators are breaking rank with Donald Trump? I guess to me, I, I, I guess it's probably obvious which side I'm on, but it just seems to me this is Donald Trump as Donald Trump has acted and his acted his whole life. I mean, if you look at the history, yeah. like this isn't different. So it's, I mean, mm-hmm. now it's obviously, it's different in terms of how, you know, the, the United States and what he's doing. But it's like, so I look at some of these Republican senators who have defended him, but is this any, is he behaving any differently than he has all along? No, he really isn't, but he's just ratcheting up the rhetoric, I think. And, you are seeing some Republican senators breaking with him. Senator Grassley, for example, from Iowa, who has been a long-standing supporter of whistleblowers and whistleblower protection, has stood up and said with great criticism that this whistleblower must be heard and this whistleblower must be, be protected. And I think human decency suggests that others will be, will be, will be following. Do whistleblowers in the intelligence community, are they not as protected as just like, somebody else who's not part of the intelligence community? Is there, are, is, is, are they protected in the same way? They're, they're actually not, and that's the interesting thing and another reason why it's a miracle the complaint came forward because in the United States there's something called the Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act, and that protects 
government employees who blow the whistle from retaliation, but it, it specifically excludes national security employees. So the stat, they have no statutory protection. There is this executive order that set up the process within the Intelligence Committee Inspector General through which this complaint rose to the level of uh, public awareness. But according to the law, if you're the national security security uh, uh, business, you, you have no protection as a whistleblower, even though there are these structures for complaining. So that's why you see someone like Edward Snowden leave the country instead of going through official channels. And it turns out he probably was right in doing so because the man who was in charge of the NSA, Inspector General, that's the person to whom, whom he would have officially complained, he, he actually was fired in 2016 for retaliating retaliating against a whistleblower. So that's the man that would have heard Snowden's complaint. So the system is in, in, in vast need of improvement, and that's something we can do when this crisis passes, is put the legislation in place so national security whistleblowers have better protection. Well, as an expert on whistleblowing, how do you think this, this particular crisis is going to evolve? It's... It's or how do you say, think it you should know, evolve, really too? That's the second yeah. part of the question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that we can just get back to normal in the United States as soon as possible and that, that people will see that this isn't a partisan issue. It's an American issue, and uh, we can't solve the big country uh, problems before our country if we're immersed in this war of words and sort of a discussion in which distinctions between truth and falsehood don't matter at all. When I wrote, when, when I was researching whistleblowers, I interviewed, I wanted to understand both sides of every story. So I interviewed all the NSA whistleblowers, including Edward Snowden, and that was fascinating. But I also interviewed the entire senior leadership of the NSA at the time of the Snowden leaks. And I write about this in the book. It, it was absolutely fascinating because there are these two competing narratives that have nothing in common. And part of what I try to do is tease out the truth in the story. And that takes some hard work, but that's partially what we have to do um, with, with the rhetoric that's coming from the White House is separate the rhetoric from the reality. And that's admittedly very hard to do because they lie about things to try to divert attention from the real issue, which is the content of that complaint. Uh, the inspector general of the intelligence community had to issue a statement yesterday saying that this idea that somehow the whistleblower processes had been, had been nefariously tweaked in kind of a conspiracy to get Trump a couple of months prior to the complaint, um, that's simply untrue. And Trump's appointee, uh, Michael Atkinson, issued a statement saying it wasn't true. So it's actually fascinating because the two men who are involved in uh, getting, you know, the inspector general and the acting director of national intelligence, both are Trump appointees. So it's not as though these are deep state operatives. They're people who are appointed by Donald Trump. Allison, can we talk about, I think think it is significant. Can we talk about the American public and what they know or understand or even want to understand? You know, most people uh, when it comes to government or when it comes to these kinds of crises, people just want to go to work and be with their families and forget about it. And as you just said, back to normal. I'm not sure if we're ever going to go yeah. to me any, 
back to what I'm not sure maybe what normal is and what I don't think we can go back. We've evolved into something else. I, I, and I'm not, I don't know. Necessarily. I, yeah, go ahead. I think, let me give you a more hopeful scenario. Um, okay. I think we can go back. And if you look at the history of whistleblowing in America, it really is just like a pendulum swimming back, swinging back and forth where elites abuse power. Uh, they're exposed. The American people responded, demand that something be done about it, and then Congress passes laws to ensure that such a thing can't happen again. Then, you know, the powerful figure out workarounds around the laws, then you need new laws. So it's an ongoing process to keep democracy alive. And I, I think we're at one of those moments now where it's important to view it in historical context and realize that this isn't normal. Uh, we, we have a president who is not respecting the rule rules of the game and isn't interested in defending the rule of law. And the way you deal with this is by insisting that you have a president that does do that and who doesn't label his or his or her adversaries as treasonous individuals. Uh, the president has accused Adam Schiff, for example, of treason. That struck me as, wow, that's amazing because, you know, doesn't he understand that we have a first amendment and people are free to criticize their leaders. Uh, and if you retaliate against them, that's against the law, that's unconstitutional. Okay. So uh, whistleblowers really are connected to the rule of law, law and also to the First Amendment in powerful ways. Well, we've gotten again, used to I President... A, I just want to, because President, yeah. uh, the President of the United States accusing Adam Schiff as uh, of treason we've gotten used to that rhetoric mm-hmm. i think unfortunately and people just say oh well i mean there's there's kind of that attitude i think um and, and they dismiss yeah. it and yeah. they don't realize the impact of when the president of the united states accuses somebody of treason what that actually does mean and the implications for that which i think is a problem but yeah. i want to also because i yeah. know you talk about this you're part of the, you know you're an expert on the intelligence community and the rise of Let's talk about the Internet, because, yes, we've had this history of whistleblowers, but what's very different now is we have the Internet, right? And Internet surveillance yeah. and all of those, you know, that's a whole different context. So maybe you could, well, let's talk about that and the impact on whistleblowers. Yeah, I think, I think and, and, and you put your finger on something really important, and for that reason, in whistleblowers, I div- divide the history into the stories before the internet and the stories after the internet, because I think it's a real game changer. When I was, when I was writing whistleblowers, it was just a, a horrific experience because I drafted the entire manuscript and then the Snowden controversy broke. And I realized I was going to have to start over. And this involved the internet and surveillance and so forth. So, so I had to, put this book through five manuscript iterations, which is the reason it's so well-timed. It, it took a long time. <laughs> it's just fortuitous that it's coming out right now. Yeah. Um, but but um, the Internet really is an interesting thing because we start out thinking that it's a weapon of the weak. You know, anybody can post something to the Internet and have a voice when they might have been silenced by gatekeepers previously. But, but in WikiLeaks in its first incarnation, for example... It starts out really being an anti-corruption website to expose corruption anywhere around the world, and it slowly morphs into something else. But in its early years, uh, if you look at its beta, beta website, 
it was quite optimistic about the power of the Internet to expose corruption. But what happened over time is that the powerful can use the Internet too. (laughs) And so on the one hand, it's a weapon of the weak. On the other hand, the powerful can use it to manipulate ordinary people. And indeed, that's the essence of what happened in elections 2016 is that is that um, the campaign used Cambridge Analytica to mine data from Facebook and really figure out how to push people's emotions so they would vote a certain way. So people were really manipulated, and this is something that we're going to have to grapple about with as a society in the, in the future. But the, inter- the Internet really is a game changer in so many ways, as I'm sure anybody listening knows. Anybody who has kids and raising kids realizes that that the internet is a game changer. Well, and as a game changer, and you say grappling with it in the future, any ideas, how are we going to grapple? I think I always have this kind of like naive, well, there are those technology people out there are going to be able to figure it out, but that's not really a good answer. Um, Well, yeah, yeah. that's what they want you to think, is that they're going to be able to solve it by themselves, but there's a conflict of interest there because they exist to make money. Uh, And obviously... um, they're not going to uphold the common good unless we keep our eyes on them. So in some sense, this is, is really a product of the blurring of the line between business and government that's taken place over decades in this country. I wrote about it in my previous book, One Nation Under Contract, which is a book about the outsourcing of American power, how we were increasingly using contractors to do government's work in the national security arena. And what this does, I think, is it blurs the line between business and government. I love free markets. I love business. I want companies to compete and make money. But, you know, they don't exist to uphold the common good. They, they exist for other reasons. It's government that's supposed to advance the interests of the American people and, you know, address problems that we have. So... So when you blur that line, what I think winds up happening is everybody starts thinking that as long as I'm making money, I'm doing good for my country. And unfortunately, that isn't the case. And I think the, that the president is kind of the living, breathing manifestation of that. He, he, he seems to genuinely believe that if he is advancing the Trump brand, the interests of the American people will be advanced. And, and I think we're seeing that that isn't the case. What about the Democratic Party? Can we take a look at some of the uh, Democratic uh, potential um, presidents? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there anybody in that group? I'm not going to ask you who you vote for, but do you see any, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, unless you want to tell us, but um, anyone who would be able to rise above this and to help us get out of this swamp or this morass or, or whatever you want to call it um, that Mr. Trump has, has sort of brought us down into. Yeah. I think there's probably a number of good candidates, both Republican and Democrat, who could help us with this mess. You know, President Trump ran on a, ran on a slogan of drain the swamp. And I think, unfortunately, what we're seeing is that the swamp is now the White House. So if we want to drain the swamp, we've got to focus with laser, laser, uh, a laser beam of attention on the White House. And then once, once um, things are restored to normal, then we can set about figuring out who the best person is to lead the country and to, and to address some of these problems that are very real in our society. 
most importantly, the, the growing inequality between the haves and the have-nots in this country. That, that helped lead to Trump's election, and the next candidate will really have to address that head-on. But I don't think it has to be a Democrat. It could be a Republican. Uh, th- what we're seeing here is not American, and that needs to be addressed. So we have to get away from this uh, partisan way of thinking, which is, I think, going to be difficult to do, because I think now people put... It is, yeah. yeah isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's always, you know, whether you're talking to somebody at a cocktail party or in an academic situation, it always comes down to partisan politics. It's very difficult for people to listen to one another and not interject mm-hmm. that kind of thinking. I don't know if you agree or yeah. not. Yeah, that's where whistleblowers um, are such an interesting thing to think about and, and read about because whistleblowers really insist that the things we're seeing all around us that everybody says are okay actually aren't okay and that the status quo can be changed if we stand up for certain ideals and values. So this whistleblower currently is asking us to stand up for American ideals, which hopefully over time we can make more and more the reality of the United States. But that is not a partisan issue. In a sense, whistleblowers are asking all of us to think for ourselves, you know, to not just blindly follow a party line. And, and I think there can be nothing more American than that. Mm-hmm. One minute left. A good way to end our conversation. The name of your book, mm-hmm. Whistleblowers, Honesty in America, From Washington to Trump, Allison Stanger, Ph.D., professor at Middlebury College. Give us a website or websites that we can go to for more information about your book and about you. Yeah, the book is available any place books are sold, and I'd love to hear what people think about it. I, I really wrote it to be something that that could help Americans understand the importance of whistleblowing in America. And I obviously had events happen that show <laughs> help demonstrate that it's an important topic. But yeah. I'd love to hear, hear readers' thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think you've done that. Thanks so much for being, we certainly have done it in this half hour. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. <laughs> <laughs> 